0: I remember singing a hymn as a young boy that I thought was just triumphant. It had really big language, just big language that spoke of the sacredness of God. Many of you probably know this song. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, My song shall rise to thee. Holy, holy, holy. I've forgotten the next line already. Merciful and mighty. There it is. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And it's the last line of that particular verse that I always found to be intriguing. God in three persons? Blessed Trinity? What does that even mean? And who is this holy and almighty God? Who is he? Well, today we begin the first of 10 talks within our theme called Rooted in Christ. The first 10 talks focus on core beliefs, of Christianity. And we begin today with thinking about God himself in what is commonly known or called theology proper. Now, a word about the word theology, because I think it has a bad rap as many people think of it as something too intense, too deep, and too difficult to grasp. But It's actually a simple word, and it's quite beautiful. So theology comes from two Greek words. Theos is the Greek word that means God. And then the second part of this is logos, which means a word or a discourse. So when you put these two Greek words together that make up theology, theos and logos, you have the idea of a discourse or a word about God. And I think whenever we think about God, whenever we study God, whenever we engage in a discourse about God, that is really good and it will help us become rooted. So the word theology is not a frightening thing. It's a beautiful thing that helps us think about God. It's a word, about God and that's what we will be doing for the next several weeks. We begin with theology proper. So in thinking about the doctrine of God or theology proper, we could move in a lot of different directions. We could talk about the attributes of God. And in thinking about the attributes of God, we get a picture of who he is and That would be a lot of fun. So we could give our whole morning to thinking about God metaphysically, intellectually, ethically, emotionally, existentially, and relationally. It's a lot of lees. But it would be a lot of fun to do that. We could approach a word about God that way. Or... We could, in describing God, look at the names that the Bible provides for God that give us a picture of what he is like. Names like Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh, El Shaddai, El Elyon, and there are more. And these names, they give us a picture. God does this. He behaves this way. So we could spend our time describing God that way, but we're not going to do either of those two things. Here's how I'd like to approach this today. I want to share a big idea that will frame our conversation about God, and then I want to share three simple, but yet I would say profound thinking points in describing theology proper or a doctrine of God. So let's begin with a big idea. Here we go. I would encourage you to take notes and fill in some blanks so that you can think about this throughout the week. Our big idea, the God of the Bible is the one true God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we move through the rest of our time and consider these thinking points and dive into a few different passages of Scripture... It is my hope that all of this will come together and we'll walk away from this. Not understanding perfectly, because I think trying to describe God is a very complex thing and there's a lot of mystery in this. And can we actually, from a human perspective, describe God adequately? Probably not, but we can sure try. And we do have pictures of him in scripture. So we want to walk through this and think about the God of the Bible. He's the one true God above everything and everyone else and he's revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So theology proper, here we go. Three simple yet not so simple thinking points about God. Number one, God exists and he invites us to worship him alone. And I really believe While this sounds like a simple thing, it is the starting point for understanding God. That he does exist. The Bible assumes this to be true. It doesn't even debate the existence of God because it's a reality. He exists. He always was and he always will be. He exists and He actually invites us. This is where we have the chance to personalize our friendship with God because he invites us to worship him, which is a humbling thought. God, the one overall and above all creator and inventor, he invites me, like, wow, and he invites you to respond to him and to worship him and worship him alone. I want to invite you to take your Bible or your device and join me in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 45. I'll begin reading in verse 18 in just a moment. Isaiah is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, and he has a lot to say to us about our relationship with God. Here's what he describes In chapter 45, verse 18, for the Lord is God, the Lord is God, and He created the heavens and earth and put everything in place, He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, He says, and there is no other. If you like to highlight and underline, I would encourage you to grab that phrase in your Bible because this is the heart of what we will be thinking about with this first point. I am the Lord, he says, and and there's no other. There's no other. I publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. I don't do that. I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. I, the Lord, speak only what is true and declare only what is right. So gather together and come, you fugitives from surrounding nations. What fools they are who carry around their wooden idols and pray to gods that cannot save. What we can gather from the words here in Isaiah chapter 45 is that God does exist, He's real. And he does all kinds of different things as described here. And there is no other. There is no other. So again, when we think about theology proper and who is God and how do we describe him? We have to start with he does exist and he calls us to worship him. And he invites us to do that and to worship him alone. God is knowable and that's great news. Because we tend to have a problem. Maybe you're aware of this, maybe not, but we're going to think through it a little bit. We, as humanity, we tend to have a problem that is addressed here in Isaiah chapter 45 and in several other passages throughout Scripture. And that is the worship of other things or other gods or idols We have a tendency as humans to put other things in front of or even in place of God, and that's a sincere problem. John Calvin, an important theologian during the Reformation and an important thinker in church history, stated, the human mind is, so to speak, a perpetual forge of idols which is just kind of a funny way of saying, our minds can be a factory of idols. Like not just one, but multiple idols that we often put in place of God or in front of him. And that is a sincere problem because here's what we read in the New Testament book of Romans, chapter one, verse 21. It says, yes, they knew God. Now I want to pause there for a moment because this is talking about people who do have a relationship with God. They know him. So, this isn't describing people on the outside or people who don't care about God or don't like God or don't believe in him. No, we're talking about these are people who they know God. But watch the flow of this. They wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. As a result, they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, just watch the flow of this, their minds became dark and confused. Keep in mind, they knew God, but now their minds are becoming dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God... They worshiped idols. When thinking about God, which is what we're doing today, we're having a discourse or a word about God. When thinking about theology proper and trying to understand God, we begin with He exists and He is to be worshiped alone, and there should be nothing else in front of Him or before Him. No idols. No idols to which many of us in the Western world would say, oh, well, I've got that one down. I'm kind of off the hook here, so we can kind of pass through this. Because we often think of idols as a carved image of some kind that sits on a shelf that people bow down to and give reverence to in some kind of way. And we don't do that. We don't do that. Mark Labberton wrote a book called The Dangerous Act of Worship. And in that book, he talked about how we often do have idols. They just look a little bit different. And they may not be carved out of things. But the idols we often put in place of God or before God still demand our time and sacrifice He goes on to say, we all fight allegiances to someone or something other than God that make a claim on our lives. To pretend otherwise is to be naive and unprepared for the serious work of realignment we need. Now, here's the good news. As we think about God and he exists and he invites us to worship him alone, he rescues us from this kind of life of having a factory of idols in our mind, things that take our time and our sacrifice. And he helps us become realigned by saying, I am here. I am here and you can come to me. And this is where we get to personalize theology proper. A word about God. He invites us to come to him. He is knowable And he rearranges our lives in such a way that we can live out what we see in Isaiah chapter 45. There's no one before God. No one before God. No idols. No idols. This is where we begin with theology proper. A conversation about God. He exists and he wants and deserves to be worshipped alone So let's get rid of the factory of idols that we create and we put in place of God. That's thinking point number one. Thinking point number two, the one true God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Honestly, I think this is one of the great mysteries of faith. It's One of the confusing things about understanding God and describing him, and I've taught on this before, and I have attempted to explain the oneness of God, yet the threeness, and I'm sure I have confused a lot of people, and I may do that again today, but this is one of the great mysteries. It's kind of a challenge, and it's difficult, so let's wrestle with this a little bit. God is one. One transcendent, majestic God. But yet he exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So there's oneness, yet threeness. I think sometimes people hear that and they say, Wow! God is amazing and he's above us. and I don't have to get it all and understand it all. That's just how mighty God is. He's one yet three. Only God could do this, right? Only God. And we get excited about that. And it empowers us as it grows our faith and our trust in him. One yet three. Only God. Only God. I can't describe it, but wow, our God is big. He's big. Other people here are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's oneness, yet threeness. You know, that's kind of weird, but I can roll with it. I can accept that. I don't have to figure it all out. It's strange, but yeah, I can go with it. And then other people here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, oneness, yet threeness, and they claim, I'm out on that one. It's just too much. It's too much, and I I don't know what to do with it, so I'm out. So there's probably different groups here in the room. Some people hear that, and they're like, wow, I love God, and I can't figure him out, and that's wonderful. Other people are like, yeah, it's weird, but whatever. I can go on with life. And then other people are thinking, I'm out, because that's a little strange. And then there's this. The word trinity which is how we in Christianity describe God and oneness and threeness. One God, yet there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's all captured in the word Trinity. That word does not actually appear in the Bible, right? It's not there. It's not there, yet it is fundamental to Christian faith and practice. And there are many passages of Scripture where we see the Trinity in action. So what is this? What is this? Oneness, yet threeness. There is the word Trinity, but it's not actually in the Bible. But yet we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit acting in Scripture. What do we do with all of this? Well, here's how I'd like to approach this. I want to give a definition of the Trinity, which is the best definition that I have been able to find to date. I want to share that with you. And then we're going to look at just two different passages of Scripture. One in the Old Testament and then one in the New Testament, where we see the Trinity in action, even though that word is not used. And then I have some extra stuff to share with you about the Trinity and how not to describe it. Okay? Hopefully that makes sense. We're going to give a definition. We'll look at a few different passages of scripture and then some extra stuff. Here's the definition. And this is from theologian Paul Enns. He says it this way. The Trinity, the Trinity is composed of three united persons without separate existence. That's a key phrase there. So completely united as to form one God. Okay, the Trinity is composed of three united persons without separate existence. So it's not like God the Father one day said, you know, I need a little extra help around here. (laughs) Running the universe is exhausting. So I need a son and let's have somebody who floats around. We'll call him the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And he can do some things as well. No, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit always existed They always were, and they always will be. And that's the heart of they are without separate existence. So completely united. And there's the idea of oneness, yet threeness. But they are so completely united as to form one God. One way to think of it is this. Trinity equals triunity. And that's a nice phrase to grab to say, okay, the trinity I may not get it all, and I may not be able to explain it. Oneness, threeness, another way to think about it is trinity equals triunity. So completely united as to form one God. Now, where do we find this in scripture? Well, grab your Bible or device again and join me in Genesis chapter 1. This is the first book of the Bible, the first chapter The first verse, (laughs) we see something amazing, and I just love this. Let's walk through it together. Here's Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created, and we'll come back to that title, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the term God, or the name used here in Genesis 1-1, comes from The Hebrew name for God, Elohim. And here's what's unique about the Hebrew name Elohim. It's a plural form of God. And when we see it used, it is represented in plural form. So think about this. In the beginning, God, Elohim, plural created the heavens and the earth. This is fascinating because in the same chapter, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. Catch this now. Then God said, and by the way, that name for God, there's Elohim. So then God, Elohim, plural, said, let us. Do you see that? Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Elohim, plural, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Who is God referring to here? Who is us? Well, even though these verses don't explicitly say God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we know that they always existed, they have always been, and they always will be. And I think the passage certainly allows For them to be referenced here as it is seen in the plural pronouns. And this is the very first verse in Scripture, first book of the Bible, first chapter. And I feel, based on the construction of the language here, we have a beautiful picture of the Trinity, tri unity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working in perfect unison together. Okay, then we find this in the New Testament book of Mark. Please join me there. Mark chapter 1. This is kind of fun. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart. And here we go. The Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. Oh, (laughs) verse 11. And then there's a voice from heaven who said, hey. You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. All right, so picture this because Jesus could say, as he comes up out of the water, Here I am, Jesus, God the Son, and what is resembling a dove? Yep, that's God the Holy Spirit. Oh, and that voice saying, Son, you bring me great joy. That's my father. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Jesus could drop the mic. Because that's it. It's all right here. And it's quite beautiful. I would encourage you to do this. Okay, here's just a challenge for all of us. As you go about your personal worship time, and as you have your devotions, and as you read scripture, look for and identify different tri-unity passages as you read them where you see, oh, well, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, either in one verse or in a paragraph of verses. There are more of them than what you think or what we can imagine. And we're even going to end with one of those tri-unity passages with a benediction today after we are all done. I would encourage you to search for that because it's fascinating, and it will grow our understanding of how God is oneness, Yet, threeness, one God who exists in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay, some extra stuff now. Here are some ways not to talk about the Trinity. So if you're engaged in a great conversation tomorrow after the Super Bowl and the Trinity comes up, because no doubt that will probably happen, right? Like, oh, yeah, there's a the Super Bowl. And oh, what about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? I'm sure that will happen. So here's ways to not talk about the Trinity just so that we're all aware. It's not great to say that there are three members of the Trinity. The Trinity is not a club that you join. Okay? And it's not like the Son is a member of God. Or the Spirit is a member of God. Or the Father is a member of God. They're not members of God. They are God. So let's move away from talking about the members of the Trinity because that seems to indicate something that you join and they never had to join. They always were. They are God. They're not members of God. They are God. And then metaphors. And this might seem a little picky, but... I just think God is so big and marvelous and impossible to describe that we want to be careful with pictures and metaphors that describe God, or in this case, describe the Trinity. So I have heard in my church experience, people say things like this, the Trinity, you know, three parts, it's like an egg, You know, there's one egg, but there's, like, the three parts to it, all the inside, you know, outside and inside stuff. So the Trinity is, you know, you picture it like an egg. It's one thing, but yet there's parts to it. I've heard other people say it's like an apple. You know, there's the outside, the inside, and the core, the seeds, whatever, and the Trinity is like that. We would say it's an apple, but yet it is composed of different pieces. I think it's probably wise to move away from that, Because saying that God or the Trinity is like an egg just seems to cheapen the transcendent magnificence of God who is really not like an egg at all or like an apple. He's so much better than those things that he created, he made. So metaphors are good for us because we like pictures. I think we just have to be careful in this case. And I would say it is okay it's okay to rest in the mystery of not being able to understand this or even explain it. For me, I don't want a God that I can actually explain or put on a flowchart in some fashion. I, I don't want that. I want a God that is so much bigger than words or spreadsheets or paintings. And I think we're all on the same page there. So it's okay. To rest in the mystery of oneness, yet threeness, and God is really undescribable. Okay, thinking point number three. The heart of the doctrine of God, or the heart of the theology theology of God, is ultimately about who we worship. And I like to describe worship as responding to the greatness of God. So as we think about theology proper, it's ultimately about responding to the great one. Theologian Beth Felker Jones captured this in a great way. There's nothing more wonderful, life-giving, or joyous than to worship the true and living God, recognizing that God is wonderfully different from and superior to any false God we might imagine. And that takes us back to thinking point number one God exists and he deserves to be worshiped alone because he is different from and superior to any other false God or factory of idols that we might be able to bring up into our minds. I have three takeaways now, and hopefully this brings it all together. Here we go. Number one. I want to encourage you to be amazed with God. Let it happen. Like, wow. God is just incredible. And you can't actually capture him or describe him adequately. Oneness, yet threeness? It doesn't even make sense, but only God. And let's get overwhelmed occasionally. Let's allow that to happen. It's okay. Let's get overwhelmed with a magnificent, transcendent God. Let's allow that to happen. You don't seem overwhelmed. So let me share this passage with you. (laughs) I thought about this as I was preparing for today. Psalm 121. This is a passage that I often share with people who are hurting or struggling or sick, and they just need a little bit of hope that God sees Like God is aware of me and he's for me. So I go to Psalm 121. So be overwhelmed. Here we go. Verse 1. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? No. My help comes from the Lord. Who made heaven and earth? Again, he's the creator and inventor. He's overall and above all. So, my help's not from the mountains, it's from the creator of the mountains. I love it. You're growing and being overwhelmed. I can feel it. <laughs> Verse three, he will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you. I so personalize this church. Okay? The one who watches over you, like he sees, and he's aware of the pain and the joy and the losses as well as the successes. The one who watches over you, get this, will not slumber. How about that? You want to be overwhelmed? God doesn't fall asleep. You do. Some of you are even attempting that right now. It's okay. We have to sleep. We take naps. God will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. I'm reminded of a story in the Old Testament. Some of you will probably remember this. There's a prophet of God who's kind of engaged with a battle with other false prophets of Other gods, small g. And so the false prophets are making a sacrifice to their gods and they're asking them to rain down fire, consume the sacrifice. And they're praying and crying and screaming and yelling and doing everything they can to get the attention of their gods. And the prophet of God said, You know what? Let let me help you out a little bit. Sing a little louder. Shout and get the attention of your God. You're going to have to raise the volume. Maybe your God is taking a nap. Maybe he's asleep. And I can't help but think the prophet of God was considering the words of Psalm 121. Even as I deal with this intense thing here, God's watching over me and he never sleeps. Their gods are taking a nap. They're not going to answer, but the God of Israel, he never slumbers or sleeps. I share that with you because we need to allow ourselves to be overwhelmed with the magnificence of God, and there's no spreadsheet that can describe him. I, I Look, I'm stepping on toes. I know some of you love your spreadsheets. And you like all the little tabs and things in there. And I'm, I can't stand them. But some of you like them and you're really good at them. But you can't spreadsheet out God. There's not enough space there. There's no way to do that. There's no art that can adequately capture the splendor of God. I wrote this down. There aren't enough words that can adequately describe or display the majestic, resplendent, awe-inspiring, glorious, splendiferous God we love and serve. There's no words. There's no words. So just allow yourself every once in a while to be overwhelmed with the bigness of God and also allow that to shape you as you move through life. No other idols because God is that big. Takeaway number two, I want to encourage you to do this. Read the Nicene Creed, which you will be able to find on our church app. The Nicene Creed is an ancient set of words that the early church fathers wrestled with and debated over in their time together in trying to describe effectively God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the Nicene Creed is all about a defense of that, and we don't often spend a lot of time thinking about the ancient creeds, but our doctrine really stands on this, and so I want to encourage you to go to the app and read through the creed. There's a lot of words there and words we don't really use anymore, which might bring up other questions, and that's all good. Let's rest in the mystery of not always being able to understand and explain this, but something that will help is standing on what the ancient church fathers developed in terms of describing the trinity, triunity. And then takeaway number three, it's a question. How does a deeper understanding of God help you become rooted So back to theology proper. It's about understanding God. And he exists and alone deserves to be worshipped as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So how does a deeper understanding of all of this help us become rooted? Wrestle with that today and throughout the week. And then please return next Sunday as we continue thinking about God, who he is, and how we can know him and how he interacts with us. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today and for this time to think about you. And we've attempted to describe you. It's a really hard thing to do. There aren't enough words. There aren't enough pictures to paint, spreadsheets to develop that really can capture the essence of God. Yet you have given us some information about you as revealed in your word, and we're grateful for that. And so we want to come to you today and say, we're here to worship you and you alone. So help us to push out the factory of idols, stuff, things, people, maybe even ourselves, that we set up in our minds in front of and over you. Help us to do the work of rearranging right now and just recognizing that you are holy and you exist and you invite us to worship you as father, son, and Holy Spirit, oneness, yet threeness. Try unity. Only God, only God, we thank you for this time. Help us to respond to you now. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me? And let's just take a moment and respond now to the holiness of our great God.